Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to the Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. Welcome to the show that helps change the way you lead. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined this week by Alison Baptiste. She's the Director of Flood and Coastal Risk Management at the Environment Agency, which is uh, something of a mouthful, but of course uh, many of many listeners will be familiar with uh, some of the challenges the Environment Agency has faced over uh, recent years. Yes, Andy, you're right. Um, the Environment Agency has been rather high profile in recent years because of the, the flooding that we've seen, the extensive flooding we've seen right across the country. Um, and But whenever we have something like that, which is a real challenge to an organisation, um, it's a real opportunity to improve and we've had additional funding from government. It's given us an opportunity to really pull together as a team and the impact on staff within the Environment Agency has actually been really positive. That's good. We do have to remember, obviously, though, that through that, flooding is such a traumatic experience for people. Um, and so it does play its toll on the staff who live and work with these communities day in, day out. And it is quite traumatic um, for both the people being flooded and those trying to, to help to get them through um, so that they can recover. Yeah, I mean, it is... It is People can perhaps only guess what it must be like for your, your home to suddenly be flooded. I mean, you know... You, you've obviously known a little bit firsthand it is, in it's terms of talking to folk. Tr it's traumatic. And in fact, f our home was flooded when I was quite young. And okay. it is one of my earlier memories. Mm. Um, just the smell of the water, dead rats in the water um, and um, items just being completely ruined. But you see that, and I've seen that with many people being flooded. I've seen it too often in recent years where their homes and their livelihoods have been just decimated with water. And it's it's not clean water. It's it's always dirty water, or almost always. And whereas things like sofas and carpets can be replaced, when people lose things like photographs or videos of a child's birthday or mm. something like that, um, you just see the trauma that that in incurs. And um, it is it can often take months and months for people to get back on their feet again. Yeah. So your journey into the work? Well, it's interesting. I, I enjoyed maths and physics as a child and... Um, the school I was in, the careers teacher said, mm, girls don't go into civil engineering. Um, the school I went to for my sixth form um, gave a scholarship for girls to do math and physics and to go into engineering, which is what I did. Um, I'm a civil engineer because I wanted to work outdoors. I love nature um, and with people, and civil engineering seemed to lead into that. And having worked overseas with Tier Fund for a while, um, I came back and I've worked for consultancy before joining the Environment Agency. and. I've always specialised in water, drinking water, um, too little water with irrigation and now too much water with floods. Um, and the thing I love about it is that, uh, and particularly being in the Environment Agency, is that I have my technical background as a chartered civil engineer, and but the bit I do within the Environment Agency um, as director is facing into government, speaking to ministers about what the issues are, um, as well as to the public and seeing what can we do that will make a real difference long term and so that's using the technical qualification but my um, understanding of the wider environmental issues as well as understanding people and what it matters what matters to people and it's that combination that I find so interesting. Yeah. Uh, I mean scientists have been warning us about climate change I mean is it clear that our weather patterns are changing? 
Well, we're certainly seeing that um, a lot of change within within the weather, and it, climate change is now generally agreed to be happening. Um, we also get climate variability, so it will mean that you will get 10 to 20 years maybe of a much wetter period or a much drier period, and clearly we've been in a rather wet period for the, for the last few years. But scientists are certainly coming to the conclusion that um, we are seeing some permanent change within the climate. And what we're seeing in the UK is generally warmer, wetter winters and hotter, drier summers. So roughly the same sort of rain, but actually spread over a different different way. Yeah, I mean, we had the, the classic summer a few, a few years ago, didn't we? Where, and there was a spate of TV programmes asking the question, is our, are our weather systems changing? And the reason seemed to be that it was something to do with a, um, a, a classic normal weather pattern, which was uh, shifted and meant that we had a particularly wet summer. Yes, that's right. And we um, listeners will have heard of El Nino, mm. but there are many different patterns um, that we see. And this last winter that we had, we saw something called an atmospheric river, where you get a, a very thin stream of very warm air that carries a lot more water coming across the Atlantic. Um, and that's what came across and hit Cumbria and Lancashire and the north of the country so so severely. But you see the storms that come, and they come through with the storms. And Storm Frank, that was particularly bad in Scotland, the power of Storm Frank knocked that atmospheric, that stream, further north. Um, and in fact, it raised the temperature of the North Pole by 30 degrees in one day. That's 30 Precious. degrees centigrade in one day. So the power of these um, forces of nature and, mm. and weather are significant. Yeah. Uh, I mean, practically, are there things that can be done if we're in an area liable for flooding? I mean, some listeners may be... Yeah, this is me. I'm not quite sure what to do. So, I mean, this is not the, the, the topic of the interview, but yeah, no, <laughs> while, well, we, while we're talking about it. Um, have a look on our website. You'll find out with a postcode whether you are at flood risk or whether someone that you love is at risk. So maybe elderly parents or other relatives. Um, you can sign up for a free flood warning. That comes through to your mobile phone wherever you are um, or to your landline and will let you know if there's warnings. So then there's that sort of the awareness side, but then having a think about your property and what would be the impact if flood water came into it so that you can make some just practical small steps of moving things that are of value, like photographs, into a different place so that they won't get affected by the floods, knowing where your insurance in information is, your passports, all those important documents, making sure they're out of uh, reach of flood water. And there are some practical devices you can do to put over your doors or... One of the worst ones is that water comes up through the drains and through the toilet and overf overflows. You can get um, like a, a small football to put in that actually stops the water backing up. So I would really encourage listeners to, to find out whether they're at risk and then to look on our website for some of those practical tips that would mean that if the worst does happen, then they can minimise the impact. Okay, well, well, we'll get details of the Environment Agency's website a bit later. Um, if, you're, if you're looking for a pen, uh, you can do so, and we'll give you those details. Um, I mean, you do a lot of media work, uh, Anderson. I'm, I've heard you on Radio 5 Live um, in the past. Um, you know, is the media mostly understanding, or do you get a, is it kind of a rough, you know, rough time? What, why are you allowing this to happen kind of stuff? It, it varies. Generally, we get a fairly positive hearing because pe it is very factual about oh. what's happening with the weather and mm. what can people do. When we find there are prolonged periods of flooding, as we saw a couple of years ago in Somerset, um, then we saw the media um, and the politicians turn uh, much more critically mm. towards us. And that can be really challenging because, as I said earlier, many of our staff are, you know, live and work in 
in the locations um, that are flooded. Many of them have worked for 15, 20 years. We have a lot of long service employees. And for them, it really, you know, they put their heart and soul into it. And so to to be, to have that criticism is really quite, is really quite difficult. It's fine for them to challenge us at, you know, the senior levels about what we're doing and what we can do about it. Um, but that was that was a particularly difficult time during the Somerset levels mm. flooding. And and there are occasions, of course, when there'll be a coastal area and and you may not be responsible for a part of the coast where there's been a problem because it's a uh, private land or whatever. And that's part of the challenge is that you don't have always have the opportunity to do anything, even if you could. Yes, that's right. And um, we local authorities have certain roles ourselves as the environment agency and also private landowners. But we do, as the Environment Agency, have an overview for all aspects of flood and coastal risk management. So if where we cannot step in and do things, then we need to help the landowner or the owner to do that. So we still do have um, a role for government. So, so how, does, how does faith inform your work, Alison? Wh- when did you come to, to faith in this journey? You talked about your career, and, then, and how does it inform your faith now? Well, I came... I was brought up in a Christian family, um, but I think I made my own personal commitment at Greenbelt many years ago when I was about 17 or 18. And that was, um, you know, quite a step change for me to making it into what was then a personal relationship. Um, And I, I feel now that actually my faith really underpins everything that I do. I, as I said earlier, the reason I chose this type of engineering is because I love being outdoors, I love the environment, but it's all actually about people and about making things better for people. And so um, I find that, you know, my faith in caring for the environment just underpins, you know, the technical work that I do, but almost more importantly, the way I lead teams and the way I behave within the environment agency too, because I feel that that is a real witness to the way I, you know, and the integrity that I have. And of course, I mean, <laughs> we're talking about weather here. <laughs> you must, you must find yourself praying for good weather more than once. It must be a tricky, tricky to know what God's mind is on these matters sometimes. Yes, it's funny. I must admit, I, I don't often pray for good weather, <laughs> uh, though. When we had that series of storms and all the flooding in, in Somerset in um, the early part of 2014, I must have, I think I probably did pray that <laughs> it would stop. Um, just I think we all felt f- just so tired from having to, to manage that all the time. Um, but it is the thing I find most that I find praying about is actually for real wisdom because dealing with climate change, dealing with flooding and the technical and the political and the environmental things are so complex and what I want to be able to do is really make a difference, make it clear to ministers the direction we need to go in um, and to make really good decisions for people and for communities and so my most often prayer is actually for wisdom about how to see a pathway through these um, you know, conflicting and complex issues. Yeah. We're listening to the Leadership File with me Andy Packer and joined this week by Alison Baptiste, she's the Director of uh, Strategy and Investment, uh, Flood and Coastal Risk Management Environment Agency. We'll be back just after this. Welcome back to the Leadership Farm with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Alison Baptiste. Uh, she's the Director of uh, Strategy and Investment, Flood and Coastal Risk Management Environment Agency. Uh, something of a long, long title, but some of you uh, are familiar, of course, with uh, the challenges that they've faced in the last years with the uh, weather systems and flooding and the like. 
And we were talking before the break of, uh, of her journey into that as a civil engineer and how her faith uh, informs uh, everything that she does as a, uh, as a leader there. So, so moving on to the kind of leadership challenges, um, Alison, you've, you've hinted already that, uh, that there's a, something of a, um, a mixture of things that you have to have your head, head around. Uh, what are the particular challenges you face? Well, when we're responding to a flooding incident, then it is very much about um, motivating people in order to perform, you know, very um, quickly and efficiently to respond to a very quickly changing environment. We have a very rigorous um, setup for managing incidents, which has been well tested in recent years. Um, but it is very, it's a very different style of leadership, uh, much more of a command and control style. Mm. Um, but brings with it a very um, positive and cohesive feeling amongst the team. When we mentioned before about some of the criticism that is often levelled at us, both from flooded communities and from you know the media or the government, then that can be that can be quite hard. Um, and so keeping people focused and motivated, you know, can be one of the challenges. But fundamentally. I believe that I'm doing, you know, I'm in the right place and doing the stuff that God wants me to be doing um, and doing it professionally and to the best of my ability. And so it is about motivating and leading the team to, you know, to do the same. When we're in, when we're not responding to a flood incident and it's more, you know, business as usual as it might be, then we have a much longer view about trying to improve the environment for people and for wildlife. And improving the environment is as much about protecting ab against natural hazards as like floods, as well as enhancing the environment to make it just a great place to live and to work. And so what we um, are doing there is very much about setting the strategic direction about where we want to go, what we can do that will make the most effective use of public money um, to enhance the environment, and then putting, um, putting schemes um, and processes in place in order to sort of maximize that but in any location you'll have conflicting um, conflicting pressures and conflicting agendas and so one of the real challenges is about explaining really clearly what the real benefit is of doing this particular work putting in some flood defenses or enhancing the environment and how that can make a real difference for the people who live and work there yeah um, and I mean when when there's a media storm as there sometimes is obviously a lot of people have their own opinions i mean i you know lots of people saying oh if only they'd dredged some of the ditches in on farms then this wouldn't have happened and all that right. and and presumably you know it's it's very difficult to respond to that kind of thing because the the local situation in any given situation is going to be very local mm -hmm. <laughs> and and people are going to think they know the best it is, and quite often local people do have a really good view about what mm. happens. They live, they live there, they work there, and they can see what happens. But what we can try and bring is the, the wider perspective of the whole catchment. And so quite often what happens with regard to, say, dredging, is that, yes, by dredging a watercourse, you increase the capacity of that watercourse. So the water will flow a bit quicker through it. Well, it will therefore reach downstream a bit quicker. So unless we've cleared it downstream, you're actually going to worsen the situation for the people living downstream. And there are certain uh, places where, or certain communities feel that dredging is the complete answer. Whereas um, what we've seen, particularly this last winter and the winter before, was the sheer volume of water that um, was coming down the rivers 
no amount of dredging would have made any difference to that. Just to put it into perspective, some of the rivers in the northwest this last winter, the Loon and the Eden, they had 1,700 cumics of water. That's 1,700 cubic metres per second of water flowing. The River Thames in London's about 50. Gracious. So right. it is a phenomenal amount of water. Yes. It would fill the Albert Hall in less than a minute. Right. It's that sort of volume. I like, that. I like the metaphors, yeah. And, yeah. So, um, and when we look at our dredging and we look at pumps that we can pump the water out, our largest pump on the biggest low loader we can bring in would take 24 hours to drain the Albert Hall. Yes. So there, you've got the comparison there. And so just visualising that um, quantity of water, dredging out a small amount of silt <laughs> from a river really isn't going to make a big difference yes. on that scale of floods. It does make a difference for um, smaller floods. And what we tend to do is work out, you know, we can dredge rivers, we can build defences, we can put in pumping stations, we can make property more resilient, putting in defences in front of them or making them more waterproof. We can issue warnings. We can hold the water back up in the top of the catchment so that it takes longer to come down. There are many, many different things we can do. And what we find is that the most effective way is to consider all of those measures as what we can do to reduce the flood risk. And really importantly, to work with the individuals and the communities about what they can do personally to mm. reduce their impact as well. So it's not a straightforward answer. It's a whole basket of measures. No, sure, absolutely. Um, uh, and the things you've learned about leadership in your, your time? I think the biggest thing, I've been pondering that. Um, and I think for me, it is about understanding people. So firstly, understanding yourself. What are, what is what are my strengths? What am I good at? Um, and being really genuine, um, authentic to that, um, and developing my own skills and my own strengths, and then understanding that for my team, so that we're using the best of everybody's abilities, um, because that way you are going to get a much much greater impact. So for me, as a leader, it's about obviously setting the vision for it. But then it's about playing to what my strengths are and then inspiring my team for the, to use the strengths that they have in order to be the best that they can be in, um, you know, to achieve the goal that we're aiming for. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's, you know, know yourself, be yourself and develop yourself. Sure, develop sure. And, and clearly you're, you're needing to do that when, it's, when things are calm for the, for the crisis. As you say, it's a command control at some point. At that point, you need to trust if it was an army you'd need to trust your you know those who are down the line in your hierarchy to get on with the job that you've asked them to do absolutely and that is when you have a relationship with someone and you know them then also you can trust what they are um what they're doing and that they're going to play their role oh. and some of my colleagues within the environment agency you know they've worked there for many many years they are highly professional and I have huge confidence in them, and that mm. makes such a big difference. I know they're going to do their bit, and I need to make sure I focus on yeah. mine. And, and so, you know, say, say in the Somerset situation, you're based in London. You, you know there's a problem. Suddenly you're, obviously, you're, you've got a, someone down in, in Somerset who's overseeing things. How does it kind of work, kind of, kind of leadership hierarchy point of view? Well, we have um, the guys leading it locally mm. in, in Somerset. So in that specific example... Um, I was based in London. I was the environment agency representative at COBRA and at the ministerial recovery groups mm. afterwards. 
Um, so I had the pleasure of um, being in meetings with Eric Pickles and others. Um, and so I would get reports in on, um, we have um, a, a very clear timetable where we get reports in twice a day. So I have the right sort of information to take into those meetings about what we're doing. We have a telephone call, an operations telephone call that everybody dials into across the country. It's very structured about getting the right level of information. They're providing the practical information on the ground. I can ask the questions I need from a political perspective. And so when I then go into those meetings, um, I've then got the whole national picture, but I've also got the detail of the guys on the ground and what's absolutely happening there, because that's fundamental to our credibility, that we are operating in the right way, that we have, um, we know exactly what's happening on the ground and that we are responding to the needs of that particular location. Sure. And, and obviously weather forecasts are pretty important at this stage, although, you know, it would seem that short-term weather forecasts are not always that accurate in, you know, in in terms of pinpointing a particular area yes it very uh, our forecasting ability has improved mm. absolutely amazingly sure. i mean the we had in you know in 1953 there was a disastrous coastal flood and um, hundreds of people died and nobody knew what was happening people were dying in scotland mm. and people were going out for a dance on south end pier because they didn't know what was coming um, whereas when we had a similar event in December 2013, we knew six days in advance that it was probably coming. And then as we got closer, our forecasting got a lot better. So we knew very well what was coming. When you get the very heavy, um, intense downpours of rain, the pluvial rain, we call it, and very convective, that can be um, very, very difficult to forecast. And the Met Office will know that there will be intense rainfall somewhere but it's very difficult to know which side of the hills it will fall or whatever so that's much more difficult to predict but in each of those cases um, we c we've got systems where we can um, mobilize staff out so that we can be ready for it when when the rain comes and we can respond as soon as we can mm -hmm. but we have a very close relationship with the Met Office we have a joint center a flood forecasting center where our staff and the Environment Agency are there with the Met Office and so we can get the best information out on the ground. Right. Well, time's almost uh, defeated us, uh, Alison, but uh, just finally, books, um, training courses, things that have helped you in your leadership? As I mentioned, I think leadership f for me is very much about understanding people, both your own team and the people that you're seeking to influence. One of the uh, leadership things I've found really helpful is something called an insights um, assessment, which talks about how you communicate and how different people like to be communicated with and so understanding my own style and understanding how other people um, appreciate being communicated with I found has been hugely mm. um, hugely helpful okay thank you well um, as I say time's defeated us you've been listening to the leadership file with me Andy Peck I was joined this week by Alison Baptiste. I think she's had the, the longest title of any, almost of any guest, the Director of Strategy and Investment Flood and Coastal Risk Management Environment Agency. So thank you, Alison, very much for, for sharing. Thank you. And uh, do log on to Premier's own website, www.premier.org.uk, and you can find archive versions of a leadership file. Going to, go to the on-demand section for a month, and then um, it's available on iTunes thereafter. So uh, you can even... Uh, sign up and uh, it'll come to your listening device every single week so um, uh, thank you for joining us this uh, Sunday and uh, look forward to your company again next uh, next week at 3.30 thanks for tuning in
You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premiere. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's Word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk.